Um, so if you'd like to follow along uh, in your Bible this morning, we're going to be reading Exodus 8, uh, which is on page 50 in the Pew Bible. Um, I don't know what page it is in your own Bible. Uh, so Exodus 8, and we're going to read the entire chapter. Um, if you remember, we've been working through Exodus. We had that riveting passage with the genealogy. Um, we had the first set of plagues. Um, the, the water turned to blood. And now we get to read on in the story. So Exodus 8, and we're going to read the entire chapter. This is the word of our God. And the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your house and be left only in the Nile. And Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you, and your houses, and your servants, and your people, they should be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. And would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast, and all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth." This I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. 
There came great, great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. And then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to the Lord your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out with from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by letting the people go to sacrifice by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Since reading the Lord's word, let's pray and ask him to bless it this morning. Almighty Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us, that we may come and see that there truly is no one like you. We ask that you would uh, teach us to worship and love you as you have loved us, that you might uh, guide us, Lord, by your spirit in the meditations of our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think most of us uh, would agree that we'd like to stand out in some way. Right? Who doesn't want to distinguish themselves? Right? Either in your work, right, you distinguish yourself in your job as being a good worker, um, or maybe you think that, I really want to be a, a great parent, like an awesome parent, and I'm going to set myself apart. Uh, or maybe you want to create something beautiful that no one has seen before. Uh, write a bestseller, or simply just have the coolest shoes in the room. Um, we all want to be good at something. And not just good, right? We want to be either the best or we want to stand out and be unique. One of a kind. Special. But there's a couple problems with that, right? The first is um, that if you're unique, then you don't really fit in, which is not fun. Um, But the second is that who can truly be unique? There's always going to be someone who's better skilled, better looking, a better, uh, more athletic their art is better. There's always going to be someone who, who seems to one-up you in, his, uh, in just about every way. But more so than that, for all of our differences and individualities, we're all, we're all similar. We're all similar in the fact that we're people, we're humans, we're made in the image of God. But it's that thing that we share that actually points to the one who is truly unique. Because we share in something the image of God that points to the fact that God is one of a kind. There's no one like him. Truly, God is set apart. He is distinguished and different from us, and not just different, but better. And not just better, but in, in so many ways, we cannot even come close to who he is. 
I think that's part of the lesson of the ten plagues. Is that the ten plagues are teaching Pharaoh and Egypt and Israel and us that there is no one like God. And here in Exodus 8, the Lord is showing that he is different and better and set apart and unique. No one is like him in his power, in his patience, and in his love. No one is like the Lord in his power, in his patience, and in his love. So why does the Lord want to make it clear that he is uniquely powerful? Why does he want to teach us this lesson? Well, one reason uh, is because Pharaoh has set himself up as equally powerful as God, if not more powerful. Right? All that Pharaoh does is like he's going toe-to-toe with, with God and trying to show how he is every bit as powerful as the Lord is. In the previous chapter, remember that the Lord confronted Pharaoh uh, with this plague, the sign of, of water turned to blood. But Pharaoh had his magicians replicate it. Right? And here in Exodus 8, the same thing happens. He gets his magicians to come in and to try to replicate the Lord's power. And so in verse 7 of chapter 8, the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. But it's actually here in chapter 8 that we begin to see through the facade. That for all of Pharaoh's bravado and claims that he could do anything God could do, the Lord continues to prove that, no, you can't. The things that I do, only I can do them. And so the Lord comes to Pharaoh through Moses, verse 1, and says, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will plague all your country with frogs. And notice that it's not just, okay, there's going to be a bunch of frogs around. There's going to be frogs in your house. There's going to be frogs in your bed. Your bed's going to be all squishy and wet. You're going to have frogs on you. They're going to be in your ovens and in your bowls and in your soup. There's just going to be frogs everywhere. This is a pretty gross plague. And it takes a lot of power to just make frogs go everywhere. And so in the midst of this, of this sign, this plague of frogs everywhere, Pharaoh says, hey, magicians, prove that I can do what God can do. And so they come up and they make more frogs. You can imagine Pharaoh going, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I want more frogs. Um, maybe some less frogs would be good. Could you do that? Could you make less frogs? Yeah. And this makes us question, right? What can the magicians do? Why do they make more frogs? Why don't they take away frogs? And then we begin to see through the facade that they actually can't get rid of the plague. All they can do is they can mimic the Lord's power, but at a fraction of the power. Sure, they can make more frogs. Great. But whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's, it's illusion, right, or whether this is legitimate dark magic, it's, it's a pathetic imitation. And Pharaoh knows that because the very next verse, he says, I want these frogs gone. And so in verse 8, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people. 
whatever power the magicians hold, it doesn't match the Lord's power. And we see that even even more clearly, just a few verses later, in the third plague. So in verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Now we're not sure what it means, gnats. Uh, there's, there's a couple of options. It usually means mosquitoes or lice. So these are not just little fruit flies right, that are buzzing around and annoying you. Um, these are biting insects, and the fact that they're now on every man and every beast, verse 17, this is another terrible plague. There are mosquitoes everywhere, or lice on every person. Um, and the magicians try again. But this time, verse 18, they tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, But they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And the magicians get it. They understand that their power does not match whatever is going on. Whoever they think the Lord is, he's clearly outclassing them. And they say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. Even the magicians understand that God's power is unrivaled. No one is like the Lord in his power. So by showing his unique power through these plagues, the Lord is communicating to to Pharaoh, to the magicians, to Egypt, to all of his own people, that not only is, is nobody able to match him, But he is willing and able to move heaven and earth to accomplish his purposes. That he he is willing and able to move all of creation, to bend it to his purposes. And that's what he does. As these plagues will progress, they will get more and more devastating, more and more powerful, more and more obvious that the Lord is, is bending all of creation and even, in a sense, undoing creation in order to accomplish his goals. And that's scary. But we also come to know the Lord that not only is he powerful, but it's how he uses his power that sets him apart as well. Because imagine yourself in the Lord's shoes, right? Imagine you could do what God could do. If you had this kind of power, how quickly would you use it to get what you want? How long would it take before you just said, cake, or or whatever it is that you want for me that I would get cake? Um, But if you had this kind of power, how fast would it be until you just got what you wanted. But the Lord is not like us. Not only is he separate and unique in his power, but he's also separate and unique in his patience. Because think about how many times the Lord gives Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. How many times does the Lord give Pharaoh an opportunity to say, you know what, God? You... You're right, 
and I'm going to back off and let Israel go because you've won. At least ten times, right? Because that's how many plagues there are. At least ten times, God patiently gives Pharaoh an opportunity after opportunity to let Israel go. And he even relents from the plagues. Right? It's, it's not just that he has this incredible power, it's that he uses it so patiently. That he sends a plague, and then when Pharaoh asks for relief, God grants it. And then when Pharaoh changes his mind, and again hardens his heart, God sends another plague. This time a little bit worse. And Pharaoh says, plead for me. And the Lord listens and relents. And then Pharaoh hardens his heart again. And then God sends a plague again. And then God relents again. And then Pharaoh hardens his heart again. Over and over, this pattern repeats. And you just think, so when is God's patience going to run out? And it's not just that God is patient. right? It's who he is patient with. Because who is this man? Who is Pharaoh? He is Israel's sworn enemy. This is the man who ordered infanticide against Israel's male children. This is the man who broke Israel's back with heavy labor. And this is the man who is currently standing between the Lord and his purposes for his people. And that makes him God's enemy. And the Lord is patient and relents. And the Lord even honors Pharaoh. Because in verse 8, Pharaoh asked Moses and Aaron to plead with the Lord to take away the frogs. And in verse 9, Pharaoh, or Moses replies. And I'm going to read the, the NSAB translation because I think it reflects the text a little bit better. So verse 9, Moses says, The honor is yours to tell me. When shall I plead for you? Moses, as, as God's mouthpiece, honors Pharaoh. Why would you honor this man? He has earned no honor. In fact, he is dishonorable in every way. This is a man who will change his mind. Say, yes, go, get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. And as soon as they start to leave, he says, actually, I changed my mind. And yet the Lord honors Pharaoh. Because the Lord is patient. And he shows a, a profound patience to accomplish his purposes. Especially towards, or even towards his own enemies. The Lord is patient. And slow to anger. Maybe you and I right, are patient sometimes. Maybe we're patient with those we love. Maybe we're willing to wait, to be slow to anger and merciful to, the, to those we care about. But we're not very patient, are we, with those who annoy us? We're not very patient with those who stand between us and what we want. But God is. And why? 
Why does God wait? Verse 10. Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Because the Lord wants Pharaoh to know that there is no one like him in his power, and yet there is no one like him in his patience. He relents from disaster to show that no one is like him. And not just in his patience, but he relents to show that no one is like him in his love either. Because here we see God loving his enemy. This man, Pharaoh, whom God honors and shows mercy towards. This is why the Lord does it. It's to show that he's patient, but it's also to show that despite everything Pharaoh has done and said, despite all the blaspheming and insults, despite the fact that Pharaoh has gone to war against God, that the Lord offers mercy. The Lord offers a way out. He offers him that get-out-of-jail-free card. All you have to do, Pharaoh is let Israel go. So twice in our passage, the command to Pharaoh is, let my people go, that they may serve me. Verse 1 and verse 20. And this will be repeated time after time after time, that the Lord's command is, is simply, let my people go. That's, that's it. No qualifications, no demands, no give me all of everything that you have. I will, de- I will destroy you, Pharaoh, but you can keep your kingdom. Just give me my people. That's mercy. Nobody is like the Lord and his love because the Lord loves even his enemies. And if the Lord loves his enemies, how much more does he love his own people? Right? What is God's goal? And this whole narrative, all the plagues, all of this, what is God's stated, expressed goal? Well, it's twofold. The first is that he wants his people to be set free. Right? Let my people go. And his second goal is so that they may serve him. And so that everyone may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God, in verse 10. And so that everyone may know that there is a Lord in the midst of the earth, verse 22. So that when the Lord makes a division, he says in verse 22 that he's going to set apart where his people dwell in Goshen, And where the Egyptians dwell, that there shall be flies on the Egyptians, but not on his own people. And this division exists so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. That he wants to show everybody who he is, and then he wants to be with his people. Over and over again, this is what the Lord says. 
All of his power, all of his patience, all of it is being directed towards this goal. To be with his people. And for his people to know him and to serve him. And if the Lord is willing to be patient and to use his power, all of it is directed by his love. Because he has called Israel his firstborn son. And because it's Father's Day, dads, you know how much you love your own kids. That is the Lord's love out of this world for his people. Everything he does, he does for his children. And all of it he does so that he can be with them. But the problem is, right, the plagues, the exodus, even when the temple was built, or the tabernacle was built, and the Lord's presence descended on it, or even when the temple was built, and the Lord's spirit descended on it, it still wasn't perfect. The Lord still wasn't fully with his people because there still were roadblocks. There were still obstacles standing in between God and his people, just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh was that obstacle in Exodus 8. But as history would go on, there would be other obstacles. It was the people's own sin. It was the people's own uncleanliness. And time and time again, we saw Israel rebel. And so God waited. And God waited. And God waited. And he waited until the perfect time came to remove all of those obstacles standing in the way of him being with his people and his people knowing him. And then he poured out all of his power. God moved heaven and earth. And Jesus was the one who removed those final obstacles of sin and of death by becoming our sin and by dying. Because he understood that just as the ten plagues were necessary for Israel to be free from their slavery, Jesus needed to endure the plague of death on the cross in order for you and me to be set free. And guess what? He did all of that for you while you were still his enemy. Because he wants to be with you forever. And he waited, and he is waiting for that to be fully true. But he's already poured out all of his power to show you and me that there is no one like our God in his power, in his patience, and in his love. Now, I know you're saying to yourself, you're looking around the room saying, great, um, so if God wants to be with me, where is he? Because it doesn't always feel like he's with me. Well, thankfully, God thought of that too. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's table every week. Because if you want to know where God is, if you want a sign 
that says, I am with you forever until the end of the age. Here it is. And when we take the bread and we take the wine, the Lord gives himself to you. This table shows us, points us to the time when God did pour out all of his power, all of his patience, and all of his love. And he still does. Every day. It's at the table that the Lord says, I waited thousands of years, and I moved heaven and earth, because I love you. And so that we can say, truly, there is no one like our God. So I'd like to invite the, uh, the elders to come up so that we can receive the supper this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for all that you have done for us. As we hear your word and as we taste and see that you are good, we ask that you might work in our hearts, that we might desire to be like you, especially in your patience and your love, that we might seek, Lord, to cling to your power and your strength and not the world's. Guide us, Lord, that we might worship you and serve you as those who have been set free by Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.